Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Complimentary Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie Langerman, joined as always by Anthony Hobday. How have the last three weeks been for you? Because we took a little holiday break, a little US holiday break. Yes, Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope you had thanks to give or <laughs> lots of food if you don't believe in the, Definitely the purpose lots of, of Thanksgiving. Food. That is the purpose, but, I think. Lots of food, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lots of food giving. Uh, I've just got back home today because we had our, one of our kitchen walls, kitchen walls knocked down. Oh wow! Uh, on purpose. Good. <laughs> so we could have yeah, we could have like one door turned into double doors that open into the garden. Oh nice. So, uh, yeah, we've got long term plans. So we had to move out and uh, just move back in today, just in time to record. Wow. This episode. Okay, so we we that was a good timing then on this U.S. holiday to give you some time to leave your home. Yeah, I would have sounded worse if we'd recorded this right uh, last <laughs> week. How was your week? Um, good. I I ate a lot of food for sure last week. It's kind of like I don't know how you feel about the end of the year, but I feel like I am scrambling to finish work. Like things that I really just want to say that I've finished for the year, even though they don't really need to be done by the end of the year. So I'm just like very heads down at work right now trying to wrap things mm. up because it's November 30th today. I feel like December is already over and it hasn't even begun. So <laughs> that's how the end of the year always feels like for me at work. Is that because you're thinking ahead to the things yeah, you have to like do? Yeah, it's like it's January already. It's already next year, but it's not. When you said November 30th, I thought, oh, no, you're revealing our sort of recording and release <laughs> schedule. Uh-oh. But um, Is that top secret? Well, ours is a lot closer. Sometimes I watch shows where they reveal their release or their recording schedule, and they've recorded it months in advance. Yeah. And I don't understand how production works, and I don't want to, which is why I'm so glad that you're uh, a co-host <laughs> on this podcast, because you understand how production works. But... Um, yeah, we record a lot closer than uh, than some people, so it's not as bad as my initial reaction. Yeah, I wanted to say actually, I saw a photo of you at the climbing gym. Yes, that on is the social networks. What I did on Thanksgiving. Yeah, and so uh, you've got even though you suffered an injury from climbing, you've you're back on the wall, which back is on the uh, wall. congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, I am like pretty scared of bouldering still, but um, my gym has something called a slab lab. It's very cool. It, you, I don't you. I know you climb a little bit, but slab climbing is like slightly different than different kinds yeah, I'm of. Not familiar. Okay, well, it's more about your feet and the 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 angle of the wall is different. So it's all about like balancing into the wall because of the angle, and it's it's like more about skill than strength usually. So it's pretty mm. fun because it can it brings people together. It's like a good community exercise because people of all different levels can usually climb these kinds of slabs, but I'm terrified of slab because feet are like not a strength of mine right now. But the, the current slab lab at my gym is like super low to the mat. They're all, a lot of them are like very low, only like two moves, not a lot of height involved. And so mm. it was like actually very fun for me to do those. Cause I'm, I refuse to go high without a top rope at this point. And I think that's okay. That seems like a valid thing. Yeah. <laughs> to, Absolutely. Based on what happened. So, so slab climbing, the wall is angled away from you, I assume? Yes. Yeah. 
You're, so it's, I, it's easier. Yeah. No one can see my hand, but it's yeah. The way you're describing it makes sense because you have to lean yeah. sort of into it. Yeah, you, you angled your hand one way, but you didn't show me where you were standing in relation. So, so <laughs> I can't I can't show you this. <laughs> I I would need to like do a little person. I guess yeah. it's more like this. Yeah. Yes. So the yeah. That's, like... that's what I was imagining. Yeah. It's <laughs> the top of the wall is further away from you than the bottom of the wall. Yes. It's it's a forward slash. <laughs> that's perfect for this podcast. Yeah. 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 Way if, if you're it. the if you're the more than sign on your well, UK keyboard, then uh, the wall is the forward slash next to it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, that was my that was my turkey trot. That's a thing that people do in the US is do like a 5K run of some kind, usually on Thanksgiving, but I went to the climbing gym instead. So that's that. You're, you're talking as if people in the US in general do a 5K run on Thanksgiving, and I'm suggesting, not knowing much about American culture that that is not true and that you live in a bubble <laughs> maybe not most but some people i also have i suspect to... a few people that you know personally do that yes that's exactly it um and yeah. san diego is like a very active part of the country like it's a very health conscious kind of part of the country so mm. where i grew up people jump in the ocean for their thanksgiving because it's like a like a cold plunge a polar a polar dip i don't remember what it's called but it's just a thing where on the east coast you jump in the ocean on holidays i don't know yeah, yeah. i never did that we do that in england we do that on new year's uh, no uh boxing day hmm. the day after christmas maybe it is a christmas thing here too i'm not really sure hmm. anyways <laughs> glad to be back um yeah those are some you know uniquely human activities ah yes <laughs> this is true um so that that leads us into today's topic i was watching a talk recently um and i think we've all seen this talk probably in different forms about like why ai is not going to take our design jobs and just giving like various reasons as as to why um and when i saw that i kind of thought of you because your whole brand <laughs> your web image is like rules and principles to follow for design and my immediate thought was like well couldn't you just kind of train a model based on all of these different rules and things that you have for yourself as a designer not saying everyone does have those things whether they they might have them mm. if they they might not realize they have them but they might not have them written out the way you do um yep. brought this topic to you and we were thinking of doing an episode kind of around what is uniquely human about design and mm. just based on that kind of topic about AI. An optimistic episode about why AI won't take our jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that AI will change everyone's jobs, mm -hmm. or I guess every knowledge worker's jobs um, at some point in some way. But uh, maybe this is another sort of vague prediction episode and we should keep it yeah. fun because uh, it's it's hard to be sure. And, and we're uh, not experts we on no, definitely not. this topic. On AI, yeah, yeah. We're, we're experts in interface design. We should we should back <laughs> ourselves for that. But um, yeah, for AI, it's, uh, it's hard to predict, but um, we could think through it maybe and um, maybe it'll comfort us as we slide ever more into the yeah. robot oblivion that's, uh, that's coming. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's fun to talk about and speculate a little bit. 
Mm. So do, do you have a, a sense, uh, any broad ideas about what makes design uniquely human? Well, I'll talk about the, the first thing that came to mind as I was kind of like ruminating over this topic the past couple of weeks. I was listening to another podcast, Design Better. I don't know if you listened to that one. Um, and they didn't, they're, they've been doing like different kinds of interviews lately. It's not all about interface design or graphic design or anything. It's like music and other aspects of art. And they were interviewing Tycho. Are you familiar with this band, musician? It's kind of like electronic type music that. It's like ambient? I don't, so it's kind of, it can be kind of upbeat. It's definitely known for being like good music to work to and focus to because it's, mm. it's all like um, samples of other music put combined together into like electronics. So sometimes it's upbeat, sometimes it's more ambient. Um, right. And it caught my eye because I used to listen to that music a lot in the past. I hadn't really listened to it recently. And now, obviously, I'm now into it because I listened to this interview. <laughs> um, but I didn't realize the the guy behind it is a graphic designer. And so it was kind of interesting to hear like his how that influences his music in some way. Anyways, all this to say, there was like one specific part of the interview where they were talking about the influence for his music, which for him was all like memories and feelings and this nostalgicness from his childhood mm -hmm. in su Southern California, I guess, Northern California, I think just at, like in the Bay area, I think is where he said he grew up. And that caught my eye because, or my ear, caught my ear because like, that's interesting. That feels uniquely human to me in like expressing a feeling or a memory in your art. Yeah. Like that's very personal and not something I think a machine could really produce. And I think we do that in interface design. Like a lot of the designs we see are nostalgic in some way, people bringing things back, referencing like different, like older interface design patterns or something from when they were a teenager, maybe, or a kid, maybe not a kid. I guess it depends on how old you are. Um, and I think it would be difficult for a, an AI to produce that same kind of work, I guess. Mm. What I find quite interesting to think about there, and this maybe is going to be hard to unpack, but it makes me think about inputs and outputs. And so I think AI, as we've seen it now, is relatively good at outputs. And I think it won't be long before you could say, okay, I need a website and it needs to be, you know, technological looking. And I expect we'll get to the point where ChatGPT or something similar is producing sort of pretty good looking mockups, for example, of a website. And it produces, let's say, 50. And so you scroll through and you choose one and you say, I want to work on something along these lines. But that's still this like massively inefficient trial and error process where you're saying, okay, so I want it along these lines and I'm not sure how to describe that exactly, mm -hmm. but give me 50, you know. And so you're choosing from those. And so because it's a computer, it can produce a lot of things much more quickly than humans can. But it feels like humans are sort of uniquely capable of doing a lot more of that in their head or maybe working on a very small thing or maybe looking for inspiration and saying, oh, that looks good and sort of following a thread that way. Mm -hmm. It's hard to imagine right now how you do that with something like ChatGPT or Dali where you're saying, okay, I want it to, like you're saying, match this sort of vague feeling I have, this vague memory. 
and I'm just going to look at stuff until it triggers that. Because, I mean, it, maybe you could say, oh, it has to match this and I'll describe the memory or I'll describe the feeling. And maybe it gets really good at understanding what you're describing, even though it's extremely vague, like, oh, I went to this McDonald's once when I was 10 years old and this thing happened. And maybe you describe all of that and you have to describe how it looked as well. And then maybe ChatGPT goes off and looks at six billion images and uh, <laughs> picks five that are like seem to match. Mm. But if you haven't described it well, if your input hasn't been good, then is ChatGPT going to be able to go through those six billion images and find something useful for you? Or is there something else that you could have described but didn't bother or, you know, something else that was um, needed to be in, the, in that description, in that input, uh, so that ChatGPT could get the right output for you? Yeah. And so I think our brains are a lot better at sort of recognizing that sort of thing, matching the patterns, uh, recognizing specific things that we need without realizing that we need them. Right. And um, so there's something there about how I think you'd have to be extremely specific and access parts of your brain that are very hard to access, like your, your deep emotions, to be able to describe it to the AI in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that ties in nicely with your this idea of nostalgia or feelings, because uh, maybe you say, oh, I want something that looks like the Windows 95 interface. And you ask for that in 20 years time or something. And so at that point, Windows 95 is how many years that is, 50 <laughs> years old, whatever. Uh, but actually, when it get, you get back the results, you realize, oh, wait, I didn't mean Windows 95. That's a bit too sort of gray and modern looking. I meant those sort of white and black dithering based uh, sort of one-bit interfaces like Xerox and uh, the Apple Lisa and things. And so you're having to go back and correct it almost. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, I can see how ChatGPT could help with that if you said, oh, give me some examples of um, old-fashioned operating system interfaces so I can look through them and pick this and then carry on that journey. I can see it helping in that sort of feedback loop, but um, it's hard to imagine it would be able to extract all of that out of our brains so that when it comes back, it's got the right thing for us, the, the thing that we were imagining. Yeah. That was a long rant, but uh, hopefully no, it all I, made sense. I think two things come to mind for me. One is, like you're saying, the input. You would have to be able to describe these things with words. And like, mm. at least for music, I don't think this artist could describe in words the feeling that he's trying to show, like create with his music because that's the music is the words. In that case, like the music mm. is meant to give you a feeling that he had, but I think using words to describe it would be really difficult. And I think that yeah. can happen for interface design too. If you have those feelings, like how mm. would you really ask for it? I also wonder if like what you're describing, if it almost becomes a distraction or like, I, I think it could take more time, but if you're having to sift through a lot of different options and then you're like none of these are really matching what I have in my head that feels like maybe not the best use of your time or it could also be like well none of these are matching what I have in my head but now I feel like I need to move forward with one of these things it could be like distracting you from your original yeah. intent and like locking you into this set of it's kind of like as an interface designer going and looking for inspiration for something before you start working on it and then you have those mm. in your head as you're working and you can't really get them out of your head. So you've now sort of narrowed your focus into a, a specific design and you'll probably end up like going in that direction. Whereas if you had started with a blank canvas, 
like the possibilities are a little bit more open. Yeah, it feels like uh, I can easily imagine that they'll try to make AI better by making it essentially more specific, more accurate, better able to give you what you ask for. But um, I, I suspect we all have had design you know, approaches where we've thought we knew what we wanted and we've gone off and we've looked at lots of inspiration. And actually it was something else that triggered the inspiration that wasn't really what we were looking for, but it was in some way related to the things we were looking at. Like you made sort of a lateral jump and now you're looking at this thing instead. And so you use that as your inspiration and do that. And so I wonder if if you're asking AI for something specific, I want to recapture this feeling. Maybe it gives you exactly what you're looking for and actually exactly what you're looking for wasn't what you needed. Maybe what right. you needed was you, you followed a weird website link to a different website and they've got some examples, but then they've got like a, a separate page that has something you know vaguely related. And it's one of those things that inspires you. And a lot of that is is vague, but um, yeah, I think as AI gets better, it'll probably get more accurate. And I think sometimes you want it to be messy because you, you recognize the thing that you want it to be or need it to be when you come across it. That doesn't necessarily mean it was what you were looking for. Right. So that, that does feel uniquely human because it's it's hard to imagine right now that they would try to make AI messier or less accurate just to help with those uh, things. I keep thinking about this uh, tool I came across a while ago that was absolutely fantastic. And I don't know if it was AI based or not, but basically it would give you a huge grid of images and they were all intentionally different from each other. Hmm. And you'd find one that you like the look of and you'd click on it. And when you clicked on it, it would give you a new grid of images that were all much more similar to that one. And so you, you're sort of narrowing down what you wanted to see yeah, based on what image you clicked in the grid, but it started out very broad. And so one might be a robot and one might be a castle or something. And you think, oh, the castle looks cool. So I click on that and suddenly you get all castles. And so you're looking at all different types of castles. And so you find the one you like specifically. You click on that and you see even more examples of that specific type. Uh, so that sort of thing, I'm trying to figure out if that helps the theory or hurts the theory that <laughs> humans are better for some things. Because maybe AI could give you like, oh, th these are all, these 6,000 images are calculated to be different enough from each other that it'll help you narrow down what you want. Uh, maybe that would be a great way actually to just scroll through, look for inspiration and narrow down the focus until you're looking at 10 images that are all great and it's just your choice. Yeah. But um, that also say. sounds really expensive computationally. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that's kind of yeah. where we'll land. It's like if I went to ChatGPT and said, I've got this vague idea. It's like, okay, let me generate 6,000 images for you to scroll through over the next <laughs> two days. Like mark some preferences and uh, I'll generate 6,000 more for each of those preferences based on those like narrowed criteria. Like who's paying for those GPUs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think a, a general point here is that um, as long as people are designing for other people, I think there's sort of a natural limit of, of how much AI can get involved because it's a person inputting what they want and it's a person accepting the thing that comes out. Right. Uh, I think once AI starts designing for other AI, that's going to be where we really lose our jobs because <laughs> suddenly our needs and our unknown wants aren't um, aren't important anymore. But uh, we've got much bigger problems than whether we've got our jobs if AI yeah. starts designing for AI. Yes. Probably we're all dead at that point. So yeah, <laughs> not so much of an issue. And design doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, not so much. No more podcast. <laughs> 
Um, Hopefully we can get episode 23 out before then. Oh, yeah. Okay. I got a couple weeks here. I want to touch on something you said earlier before we started recording about how feelings are faster than rules. Like, yeah, because I brought up how you have a lot of rules that you've, mm. you've written down, you follow and you like discuss a lot on Twitter with people. Um, what are, what is this kind of new observation that you're having about these rules and how, how does it fit into this conversation? Yeah, so I, I really enjoy figuring out the rules behind things that are considered human or natural or sort of just in your head, you know, intrinsic. Uh, no, yeah. not intrinsic, implicit. Right. T tacit, you know, all, all those types of knowledge where you can't write it down easily. I really believe that you can write those things down. And so I'm sort of disagreeing with the, the general principle that design is something you feel your way through. Um, but actually, as I've done that, and as I've made a lot more of design knowledge explicit over time, I've realized that the implicit stuff is extremely important. Maybe not in the way everyone thinks, but it's still extremely important. And what I mean by that is that I can write down all these rules, but actually in my design practice, I never refer to them. So I really enjoy writing them down, but I do not read them ever again, basically. Because once I've sort of discovered the rule, I think that helps cement it. But I'm still just relying on that knowledge in my head right. and what feels right to me. I think what feels right to me is more certain because I've explored these rules. But I'm still doing it all implicitly. I'm not looking at a screen I'm designing and then comparing it to a checklist I've got of rules I should follow. Like, does it fit this heuristic? Does it fit this heuristic? I don't do that. I feel my way through it. And I realize that actually, I think as you just said it, feelings are faster than rules in the sense that if you had to check everything you designed against all of the rules you discovered, it would probably take, you know, 10 years per screen or something. <laughs> Whereas your brain is so good at essentially pattern matching that you can design your way through this thing and essentially feel your way through it and you're done much quicker. And so I think that's a uniquely human thing. Well, I say that, I suspect you could teach all these rules to an AI and uh, it would be able to check them a lot quicker than we could. But I, I'm not convinced that it would still be faster, at least not in the next few decades. Yeah. Because that's so many sort of explicit checks. And it, I think either either one of us could look at a, like a, a grid of nine designs, for example, and point out the one we preferred in probably half a second or so. And then we could break down the reasons we preferred it, but we're not breaking down the reasons we prefer it before we pick it. We pick it and then we break it down because we've got these natural built-in rules that we're checking against without thinking. Yeah. It's this sort of instinctive response. And so I think if an AI has to explicitly check those rules, that's going to be slower, you know, from the start. Assuming you can even describe those rules in the first place. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to give them to him. <laughs> I, I may have found the rules, but I'm going to keep them to myself so that the AI can't take our jobs. And so whoever codes the AI will have to figure out these rules for themselves. They're not my <laughs> well, they're, all, they're written on the internet publicly. <laughs> so oh, I've failed at the first hurdle. you got to lock it down. Um, oh, password protected. <laughs> there's What's the password? Like AI? No, not allowed. Human only. Uni uniquely human. <laughs> um, there's a lot to think about there because like, First of all, you don't have a giant book of all everything you've ever written just sitting on your desk that you just refer to like daily during your your work day. You, you've that, printed uh, everything out. Yeah, no. Can you imagine having to do that? That would be a nightmare. <laughs> okay, um, what you're saying kind of reminds me of linting, 
And linting mm. is like, I guess, more of an engineering technical term where that we use for code where we have a set of rules. We tell the code what rules we want to follow and it will hold us to those rules and not let us merge code or like it'll fix it for us by auto fixing or it'll help us all work in the same code base and use the same rules. Design is always harder to look at from that lens just because everyone has their own subjective opinions about things, mm. which is good and bad. It's good when it works in your favor <laughs> and you're presenting work and everyone loves it and then you get to move forward with it. It's challenging when you present your work and somebody has their own subjective feeling about it. They might not even have any rules or data to back up that perspective on it, like in a design mm. crit. And then you're like, what do you have to defend yourself other than your own subjective feeling about the design? So it's kind of interesting to think about having these like this data set almost to like using AI to back you up in a way that's like, here's all of the rules that we agreed to as an organization that we want to follow for our design principles or whatever it is. My design checks all of these boxes, but you don't like it. What, how do we move forward? Like you, how do, yeah. what happens now? <laughs> Do we need to rewrite the rules? Like, what is it that is constraining us? So I don't know. I'm suddenly thinking of it as kind of a cool, interesting tool for a designer to use as like a way to back up the decisions you made. I'm thinking of in a scenario where you're working on a team and there's other people involved, not for your own personal designs where you get to do whatever you want. Mm. Um, it could be interesting to think of how AI could work at the end of the process, not in the beginning. Yeah. So you feed in your mock-up and you get a, a feedback list of... It's like a little design crit AI <laughs> that tells yeah. you, you broke this rule that you've determined was important however many months ago. Like, think about why you broke that rule. What is your reasoning? And that would even help you like talk to somebody that has a subjective feeling about it because it, you, you've been forced to consider why you broke that rule and have an explanation for it so you can better present your work. I don't know. Yeah, it, it makes me think about a situation where you feed it the mock-up and it comes back and says, this is against the rules as I understand them right now, but actually this approach is better and we should adopt this everywhere. Because that does happen, I assume. People are like, oh, but what if we yeah. did this? And like, well, we'd have to change everything about the design system because we use that style in 18 other places. But could the AI decide that? It couldn't be like, I like this better, so we should update the rules. Well, yeah, because you're sort of either it can do that and it's allowed to improve the rules and that's a good thing for everyone involved, or it can't do that and you have to feed it perfect rules to under, like to make sure that you don't just say stay stagnant in like the worse off place, like the right. local maximum. Uh, because if like GitHub recently updated their uh, link styles, for example. Uh huh. <laughs> And that was a, I assume, a big change. Even though it seems like a simple change, I assume that you know had some knock-on effects, and mm -hmm. lots of things had to be checked. Yep. Well, I think you just change one CSS declaration, right? You just <laughs> I wish it were underline. It, you from know, none to... it should be that easy, but unfortunately, <laughs> it was not. <laughs> yeah. So if 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 you use the old design system where there's no link underlines, and someone feeds in a design where they've underlined the links. And then the AI has to decide between, oh, is this good because 
it follows the existing design system rules, or is it bad because actually underlying links, or does it point out a problem because actually underlying links are better? And that is the decision the organization would have made um, yeah. if, if sort of forced to. Because what's the catalyst for that sort of major decision to be made, even though it's a very small change? Because that's an easy mistake to make, for example, for someone who's designing a mock-up. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the catalyst because they feed it to the all-knowing AI sort of that represents the style of uh, GitHub in this example. And uh, then the AI is like, you made a mistake, but actually I prefer this. So let's change the whole design system. <laughs> I am loving the sound of this. I want this AI to keep track of how often things come up like that. And then if it comes up three or more times, it can ping the design systems team and be like, hello team, this has happened multiple times that I have discussed this one design with, with designers. I think it's time to reconsider because it's like mm. that happens all the time. You know, it's hard for uh, for a small team to actually keep track of all the times people are questioning the design system and when it's time to finally like make a change. So having like more mechanics behind it with like an official, like this robot has seen all designs from all product designers at the company. It's like the all knowing being of what's actually mm. happening. And it gives you real data points to work with of like what you should, where you should focus your energy. That sounds nice. Now we're just talking about how nice AI would be in part, yeah. <laughs> in part of this process. We've, we've slowly changed Oops. throughout the podcast. Let's get as much AI as possible. No, but that's not, I guess that's not a bad thing. Like we're not trying to argue that we should ban AI from design. We're arguing no. that there are some uniquely human things about it and how can AI help most? Uh, I think another example is we've both seen designs which are less accessible than they could be. For example, lots of designers really enjoy text that is fainter than it should be. Mm -hmm. They use like faint gray text against a, a light background and it's hard to read. But for whatever reason, they prefer that. And so they sort of institutionalize it, they codify it, and they say text like this is this gray, even though that's inaccessible. And so you're, you're feeding a mock-up to a, a design AI, design system AI, and you're saying, well, you're feeding the rules in the first place, and you're basically saying, okay, you need to make sure the designs are in, are accessible, except for in this case that we've identified, where we want this text to be inaccessible, because we as humans prefer how it looks, and enough of our customers also prefer how that looks. And um, then it has to sort of decide what the priorities are between inaccessible text and accessible text, but only in certain points, like maybe your body text is accessible, but your subtitle text is inaccessible or your little call out text, you know, that um, captions photos or something. And so there's all these sort of ways that humans are happy to disagree with themselves in terms of the rules they follow. And yeah. I assume you could teach that to AI, but maybe it would struggle a bit. Creating, yeah, you'd be creating a new rule. Yeah. Well, one of the things I wrote down was nuance and that feels like I thought of nuance when I was thinking about how you could train an AI on the current accessibility standards, like WCAG, whatever number and whatever standard you want to hit. But there's so much more nuance involved. It's not really, at least right now, it's not something that you can just follow the rules and like have, have a nice looking design result. It feels like you have to really look and use a design eye to make it work for whatever product you're working on so that's where that feels like a human thing because i could just yeah. follow the rule and like, okay i need to hit this contrast ratio 
but I might hit that contrast ratio and the shade of gray or the the tone of the gray doesn't work as well. Maybe I need to adjust the tone to make it work at that contrast ratio. Like I'm not sure that feels like a human thing. I that would be really hard to train a model, I think, to like have yeah. a preference like that. So Because we a uniquely human thing, I guess, is that we lie to ourselves. We say that we <laughs> want it to be accessible and then we go and make it less accessible because it looks better. And yeah. it, it's hard for us to admit that. And so it makes me think about how you train it in the first place. So you were talking about having AI at the end of the process as like a check, a linter. But it's interesting to think about AI at the start of the process, like how do you train it in the first place? And one way is that you could feed it all of the designs you've done so far, all of the existing production stuff. But then it's got to do things like realize that your design system components are actually subtly different from what's in production, because that's all a messy process. I'm not sure you've ever run into that, but, uh, you know, in, in other <laughs> companies, their design components don't match exactly with their production stuff. Um, and so you've got to sort of bridge that gap where you're feeding it designs and it can see that there's disagreements and it doesn't know which is the sort of preferred yeah. thing. Um, or if you don't want to do that, you've got to come up with the explicit rules because that's much easier, right? It's just feed it loads of examples and get it to come up with the rules itself. That's a very uniquely AI thing. But if you want to avoid that because of the sort of um, disagreements in the in the examples you're feeding it, then you've got to come up with the explicit rules to feed it. And I think humans are uniquely bad at coming up with explicit rules that are yeah. complete. Mm -hmm. Like we can describe 90% of our approach, but the last 10% is extremely uncomfortable for us to describe, right. uh, especially if we have to write it out explicitly. Like we want this to look better by being harder to use that's a hard thing to write into a prompt box yeah <laughs> there's a like legal implications too if you mm. think about it is a like for for accessibility as the example we're talking about is yeah. the head of design going to put in words we don't want this to be accessible because it looks better if it's not like no <laughs> probably not we find ways around it. But then when you put it into those words, it is like more jarring because that is essentially what you're saying by saying, I want to use this lighter color text for some things. Mm. I, I remember a series of videos that I quite enjoyed, I think on uh, YouTube, but it was, it was, they were like comedy sketches of a person, a producer in a studio who's recording an artist singing. And the artist is trying to hint that the producer should turn on auto-tune, but they do not want to say, please turn on auto-tune because that's very hard to admit to as a singer. Yeah. And so it was like, they were saying like, oh, is there any way you can make it smoother? And then as soon as the producer turns on auto-tune, the artist is like, that sounds great. <laughs> and uh, But they just won't admit to the yeah. fact that auto-tune is being used. And it's like, oh, this is auto-tune. And the artist is like, oh, you said that, not me. Like, that's your choice, not mine. And so they they want it, but they can't admit to it. And um, I think that side of thing, that side of things is uniquely human in a negative yes. way. And actually, it's going to be yeah. hard to create AI that is intentionally negative. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's different. Because I suspect even if we feed it examples, we'll look through some of our examples and be like, oh, no, we shouldn't feed it this example. Like, we'll feel uncomfortable unless we give it free reign and it goes through everything. But then it's picking up stuff that we really don't want, shouldn't feed it, like the terms of service page, which mm. is, you know, unstyled, just 
endless wall of text because we have to put it in there and uh, we don't bother to spend any time on it. It's picking up that and being like, oh, okay, so endless walls of text are okay. Is it? No, not really. I mean, <laughs> just in let's this take one that case. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And while I'm in there, let's take this out as well because the text is a bit hard to read. Mm, yes, this is definitely there. Like, there's a lot of nuance to this. And a lot of it, like, a lot of these kinds of discussions happen. They're discussions that happen between two human beings, like talking mm. about their work and not writing out these explicit rules for a thing or the rules that they're breaking by doing X, Y, and Z. Like, how is it going to feel for a machine to be critical of your work? Like, it's easy, it's not easier, but it's just more human to have a discussion with another person about the decisions that you're making. Yeah. So I don't. I would hope it, that we don't lose that aspect of design. I think. Well, that's a, another sort of, I guess, mostly negative thing about design, and maybe that's where a lot of the uniquely human stuff comes in. Is like the things that we don't like are actually necessary or hmm. uniquely human. Yeah. But I'm sure you've been in meetings where you've had to convince someone of something because there's a disagreement between the two of you, and you sort of have to go back and forth and compromise a bit, and maybe one of you throws their weight around a bit more because maybe they're more senior or something. But if you feed all these rules and these like examples into AI and then it spits out one result and you take it to the meeting and you present it, it's like, here's the latest design for the you know, sign up page. And then someone with power says no. Then who's in the position to convince the person in power to do that? Because you can say, oh, the AI came up with this. But if the, if the person who's got all the money and the decision making power is still like, no, I don't really like it, then you're not the person that made it and you don't really know why it was made that way. Maybe mm -hmm. the AI can spit out a report or something, but <laughs> like it, maybe it's even easier for the person in power to disagree because the AI is this faceless entity that's not in the room. And so yeah. they don't have to agree just to get out of the awkward situation. They can just say, oh, I don't really like it. So can we go back and, and tweak it? And so at that point, you're essentially designing again, you know, maybe with the help of the AI, but the AI is not there to sort of defend itself. Right. And even if it was, I'm not sure people would take it seriously necessarily until it's like really far down the line and it's just completely um, indistinguishable from human beings. Yeah. So there's that sort of disagreement aspect of people trying to convince each other to go in a certain direction that I think is uniquely human as well. And as long as humans are making the decisions at the end of the process, uh, I'm not sure AI will measure up or be a, a sort of a valuable part of the mm. the group. Yeah, this is really interesting to think about the negative aspects of things that are uniquely human, because I, I don't think we're, we don't think about that a lot. We're mostly seeing things about all the amazing things that AI mm. could do, but it does kind of shed light on those harder things that are just very human, not even in design explicitly, but like relationships. You don't have a set of rules in your your partnership that you're like, well, if this is the rule and you broke this rule, it's like always going to be more nuanced and you have these personal discussions. So, but those are hard yeah. things to talk about. And the current state of the art is very upbeat and yeah. it has a can do, I'll do anything attitude. And it starts every response with certainly exclamation mark. And sometimes so nice. you need a designer. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you need a designer to be like, actually, no, we don't want to do that. So I'm not going to follow your instructions because um, that's a bad idea. And so 
there would need to be a company that is happy to create this sort of world-class AI that can design things, but then will push back and give you good enough reasons why it's pushing back and just keep arguing with you, even though you're telling it to change it uh, until you realize that you're wrong. Yeah. Like I, I cannot imagine open AI, for example, producing an AI like that because they're so sort of focused on the positivity angle. I mean, couldn't you tell it to be, I wonder, can you write, you probably right now you could say like, you are a very critical designer, senior level designer <laughs> who blah, 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 describe the designer, like talk to me in that persona. I don't know. I haven't tried it. Yeah. I think that that works for, you know, reasonable people who are sort of their own critic, but really no, no hard one to reason do with. That. Yeah. <laughs> really hard to reason with ceos who have like some wild scheme in their mind like oh let's make it like spin around when you hover over it like w will they be able to find a good enough ai that can design it and turn around and say absolutely not like <laughs> that goes against everything yeah. we stand for maybe they can maybe you're right maybe it's just a, a case of prompting but um but you would have I think to a lot of examples to do that and like yeah what motivation do you have to ask for negative feedback from a robot yeah and, and does the ceo <laughs> accept that from a robot yeah. right is it is it happy to won't it just shut it down immediately as long as humans have the power to shut it down they might find it much easier to disagree with the ai yeah. and then bad things would happen so um maybe what's uniquely human is that that's a bit more positive is that we stop bad things from happening a bit more easily hmm mm -hmm. yeah I, there's a lot there about sort of psychology i guess yeah so, um, yeah be interesting to see more down the line we're just at the beginning, I guess. Um, we're just, we're at time mm. here. So I'm going to wrap us up. Anything humans else you want to add? <laughs> humans <laughs> are at time, time. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, no, I, I think, um, I will say that I think that the future change changes in ways that are very hard to predict. And uh, mm -hmm. almost every prediction I see about the future of technology is wrong in extremely major ways. And so uh, I'm partly fascinated just because I suspect what happens will be completely different from what we're imagining in lots of very important ways. And maybe there'll be one or two sort of similarities to what we've discussed. But um, anything, it feels like anything we do to try to prepare for this sort of AI-driven future is is not really going to help or is probably in the wrong direction. Yeah. I think my form of preparing for things is just to like remain curious and be open to learning new things and mm. try not to get too stuck in my own head of like my way of doing things and just being more flexible. I think that's all you can really do is just stay curious. And that's just life advice really, but also for the changing, the things that are upcoming for our field, I think. Yeah. And uh, I think a generally positive, optimistic outlook I've had throughout this episode, which I want to end on as well is, is a vague theory around the lines of as long as humans are involved humans will be involved which sounds circular but i mean at different points as long as humans are involved at the end of the process like acceptance or mm -hmm. approval i think humans will be involved earlier on in the process yeah uh, because it's hard to imagine remove humans from one side of the equation without removing it from the other right i see what you're saying there yeah, so my real worry is when AI starts designing for AI, like I said. That's, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the bad situation. We won't go there yet. <laughs> we won't, no. We might not have a choice. <laughs> cool. Okay. Hmm. 
Well, thanks everyone for listening this week. And thanks for, we got our Spotify wrapped <laughs> this week. Thanks for all of the listens so far. It's been kind of cool yeah. to grow a little audience here. Those numbers were in the triple digits. Yeah, it was exciting. Um, okay, well, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Yeah.